Welcome to Marketing for Your Boring Business, presented by All-in-One Social Media, where marketing professionals and industry leaders discuss what you can do to help your message get seen in a cluttered newsfeed. Join us each week to learn more about social media, online marketing, trending topics, and tips to grow your online marketing efforts. Now here's your host, Desiree Martinez. Welcome to another episode of Marketing for Your Boring Business, helping your message get seen in a cluttered news feed. So like many of you, I'm sure that you spend a lot of time on Google. I know I do. And one of the things that we can run into as business owners is we're looking for something to post on social media or like a picture to put on our website. So we go to Google, we find one that we like, and we just save it and just use it however we want. And what you might not know is that that is not allowed. That is actually a very illegal thing to do. And I find that a lot of businesses just don't know what they can and can't do on social media and online marketing. So today, I'm going to fix that for you guys. We're talking with Mitch Jackson. Mitch is a California trial lawyer who enjoys combining law, social media, and technology to disrupt, hack, and improve his clients' companies, causes, and professional relationships. He is an award-winning trial and litigation lawyer who has recently profiled in Inc.com. In September, he shared his social media marketing tips with an audience of 2,000 people from the stage at a Tony Robbins Business Mastery event in Las Vegas. That is amazing, Mitch. I, so that's just huge. So Mitch, welcome, welcome to our show. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. And you're right. Your, your intro was spot on. You know, after 30 years of practicing law and being involved on social media, digital platforms since 1996, uh, you know, I've watched everything happen. And the biggest problem I've seen with new businesses and new entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, people doing business online is, you know, they're, they're not following all the rules. And so we have to be careful when we're grabbing photos and when we're doing other things online. So I'm looking forward to sharing hopefully some tips and approaches that will keep your viewers safe and sound when doing business online on the social media platforms. Yes, I know that even for myself, it's hard to keep up with what we can and can't do online because back in the day, like in the 90s, early 2000s, it was like the wild, wild west. Like we just did what we wanted to get things done. <laughs> And make things happen and then people started realizing that their rights were being violated and things are happening and all of these legal issues came into place and we live in yeah. such a sharing like an online sharing world it's so hard to know like when we're doing something wrong or right it, it can be a challenge and i encourage my clients to actually promote other people to share their content to help help them market or brand themselves on a global basis. I think our whole mindset with how we interact and how we promote ourselves and our clients and friends, it's changed over the years. But having said that, there are some basic rules that everyone needs to be aware of because frankly, what's happening now is that companies are spending a lot more money creating their content and sharing their content. And if you take that content, if you violate their intellectual property rights, their copyrights, what I'm seeing uh, more and more over the last couple of years is these companies that own this content, they're going after people that are using their content, that are stealing their content. So users are being held accountable for the wrongful use of intellectual property. And so for example, I've come up with four or five different tips that your viewers, your listeners may find useful when doing business online. And you started it off with pulling an image off of Google. And let me just say, 
respect other people's intellectual property rights, whether it's a logo, a picture, a video, a blog post. The general rule that we tell our clients is that if you didn't create the content, then don't use the content without the express written permission of the person or the agency that has the rights to give you that permission. So the, the bottom line is we love to see our clients uh, create and use their own content when you know building out their websites, when promoting their, their goods and services on social media. And uh, that usually keeps them out of, out of harm's way when it comes to you know, using somebody else's photograph or video in your blog post or, or on your social media page. But there is an exception to the general rule. And the exception to the general rule is that if you use somebody else's content, content that you didn't create in a news story, in a commentary, in an opinion piece, something like that, the use of that content may fall under what's called the fair use doctrine. And that's an exception to the normal copyright intellectual property laws and rules we're talking about. So that's why you'll see on the news sometimes they'll be talking about a breaking news story and you'll see a picture that obviously came from a local photographer or maybe even from a competitor's website or competitor's news channel and they're using that picture in their news story. Uh, that would fall into the fair use doctrine. But I do tell people the fair use doctrine is the wild west of intellectual property law. It's a gray area. Whenever I see disputes as to who has the rights in the fair use doctrine gray area, the winner is usually the side with the better lawyer and enough said. So you don't wanna put yourself in that situation. So the general rule is if you didn't create the, you know, the picture, the video, the content, whatever it might be, don't use it without the creator's express written permission. Well, that's intense. So can you dive a little bit more into what you're talking about with the fair use doctrine? So on maybe like less of a news scale, like let's say, I'm just gonna ask a question because I think I can understand. Let's say uh, I am an insurance broker and sure. I am sharing information about different kinds of insurance and maybe AAA has an article that I find relevant to what I'm trying to educate people with. Am I allowed to use that piece of content that they made, like their link to their blog, to their site and share it on my page. Am I allowed to do that? Is that kind of what falls under the fair use doctrine? So that's a little different animal. Let's say you were using the AAA logo or a picture from the AAA website in your state farm or farmer's blog post without AAA's permission. Well, first of all, I would say don't do that because you didn't create the AAA logo, but if your blog post has to do with educating your audience or maybe talking about a different perspective or opinion on how adequate that type of insurance coverage might, might be, and it's not a blog post designed to promote or sell your services or your products, then I think there's a pretty good argument. And by the way, while I am a lawyer, I'm not your lawyer. I'm only licensed to practice law in California. No legal advice is being given. See what I just did, and we're going to talk about disclaimers in a little while. But generally speaking, if your blog post is educational, it's a news story, it's an opinion story, then it will probably fall, in the words probably, within the fair use doctrine. When you're sharing other people's content, maybe using a share button, maybe I'm sharing a link to the AAA blog post in my State Farm post, okay? Generally speaking, that's not what falls under copyright or the fair use. You're talking about something else. 
normally on social media, what's interesting is we have share buttons, right? Regardless of the platform, regardless of the blog post, if these platforms are offering you the ability as a visitor to share that content with, with someone else, with your own website, to the world in general, generally under the terms and conditions of the website that that post is being hosted at, permissions being granted to allow visitors to share that type of content. That would fall under the terms of service agreement. So YouTube's a good example. If, if you put this video of this podcast up on YouTube and I come along and take it and embed it in my blog post on a website that has nothing to do with you, under the terms and service, under the TOS agreement with YouTube, I have the right to do that. And I'm not infringing on your copyright. Now, terms of service agreements change all the time. So it's important before you grab somebody else's content that you understand what the latest terms of service agreement rules and regulations are. It's a confusing area. Yeah. So for terms of service, what if a website doesn't have terms of service? Like I would think a smaller brand, like again, like your local insurance agent or local dentist who just blogs to share information that he has with his audience, I would think I, they wouldn't have a terms of service on their site. What happens when that happens? Well, and they should have a TOS agreement, number one, okay? Just because nobody's doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it. So always have a TOS agreement, terms of service agreement for any of your websites or blogs. But I would never encourage a client of mine who, let's just say it happens to be a state farm agent, to take content from a AAA insurance company website and bring it back to their website and use it. By doing that, you're asking for, you're asking for problems. There's the, the argument that it falls under fair use is not a strong one. If you're a teacher in a school and you're using that same logo to explain how insurance works, that would more clearly fall under the fair use doctrine. Do you see the difference? Yeah, so you're saying don't take people's content and put it on your site, but yes. you can use people's content to share on social media if you're if it's coming directly from them. So if I'm hitting that share button on AAA to share on Facebook, I'm not saying that it's my own, but I'm using it to educate people, that's okay. Generally speaking, and it depends on the facts and circumstances, but generally speaking, that's okay. That's why we have share buttons. And you want people to share your content. I mean, that, yes. as you well know, that's something that I actually encourage my clients to promote and to, um, and to do as often as they can. So the first big issue for anyone doing business online is just be aware of the intellectual property rights. If you want to play it safe, if you didn't create the content, then don't use it or get permission before you do use it. And I wouldn't rely upon the fair use doctrine as, as what we call an affirmative defense unless you have to. Okay, so that's the first big problem I see on social media. The next big issue I see on social media are people and companies doing business on social media as sole proprietors or maybe as a general partnership. They're not a limited liability company and they're not a corporation. So the really the first thing I tell people to do before we talk about intellectual property rights is do business online as a limited liability company or as a corporation, depending on what you do and what state or country you're practicing in or you're selling your goods and services in. Uh, there are different rules and regulations depending on the product or service. Lawyers and doctors and insurance companies uh, have different requirements in most of the states in the United States than maybe insurance companies or auto dealerships or something like that. But uh, just like you would do offline, it's always smart to be a, a properly formed business entity when doing business online. So 
back to kind of funneling us back to our list of five things. So the first one we had is respect people's property. We said a lot of different things. So what would you say number two is? Do, do business as a corporation or a limited liability company. Okay. And the reason that's important is it will separate and protect your personal assets, your personal bank account, you know, your personal assets from any business liabilities. Most businesses, at least here in the United States, are they find themselves in a lawsuit or a serious claim at least three times during their business life. And I'll tell you right now, from what I've seen on social media, if you're doing business exclusively on social media and the digital platforms, the number's probably going to be higher for a multitude of reasons. So because of that, if you're doing business as a corporation or limited liability company, which I refer to as an LLC, it puts up a protective shield between your business liabilities and your personal family assets, your bank accounts, your retirement plans, your car, whatever it might be. Uh, there's some additional benefits to doing business as a corporation or an LLC. There are all types of tax benefits. There are different types of additional write-offs. There are different types of retirement plan options that you wouldn't otherwise have as an individual or a sole proprietor. So what I try to tell people and what I am telling people is that, you know, as soon as you can, talk to a, a legal representative in your state, in your country, in your county, wherever you're doing business, I know this is global, and find out what business entity they recommend that you use to do business. And then I have no problem with using a company like LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer to help put together all the paperwork to save everybody time and money. You don't need to have an expensive lawyer prepare all of this paperwork for you. The problem I've seen though is a lot of people will set these companies up correctly, but then they don't run and manage these companies properly on an annual basis. And that's where people drop the ball. So if you're not filing your paperwork, if you're not paying your state franchise tax fees, each and every year, what's gonna happen is that business will not be a properly running business, and if you ever get yourself in, in hot water in the legal arena, it's not gonna be there to protect you. Good to know. Okay, so after we get established ourselves as corporations or LLC, what's the third step? So the third step, and this is something I've watched a lot of people not do correctly. I've watched hundreds of startups, you know, offline and online. I've helped a lot of them in their litigation needs. But I've watched a lot of startups start business, start their company with a couple of Twitter DMs, a couple of Facebook messages, maybe some text messages. And a year later, things go south. And it's like a bad divorce, right? It's like nobody knows who owns what, what's my percentage, my equity in this company. And so I tell everyone, make sure you use proper documentation when you're doing business. If, if you and I are doing business and we're starting a company together, you know, with in addition to the LLC or corporation, let's have an operating agreement. Let's have an agreement between us that lays out exactly what our relationship is, how much money we're putting in, what equity or interest we have in the company. We lay it all out in writing. The other big problem I've seen is that online companies are not using contracts or not using written agreements with respect to the deals that they're entering into. So if I'm a surfboard manufacturer here in California and I sell surfboards uh, to someone in New York or maybe someone in, uh, in Australia, and you know, God forbid something happens with one of the surfboards, it breaks and somebody gets hurt. Well, with a properly put together sales contract, 
it'll be laid out in that contract. If there's litigation, if there's a claim, the venue, and that's the key word everyone should write down, the venue is where will that claim be resolved or litigated or, or handled in a dispute. And so venue clauses as a California company, even doing business online, allows me to designate the venue as being in Orange County, California, which is where I practice. What that means is that if that New York buyer or that buyer from Australia feels like they need to bring a claim, they have to travel to Orange County, California to bring their claim. They have to hire a lawyer in Orange County, California. It starts to be very convenient for you and very inconvenient for them. And so I found that with a proper venue clause in these written contracts, it helps eliminate frivolous lawsuits. It helps the parties discuss disputes without unnecessarily running to the courtroom quickly to file a lawsuit. But that's a clause that we normally see in our written contracts. The other thing is I like my online business clients to use companies like DocuSign to set up their agreements. Almost any type of sales process involves an agreement. And if you upload that template into a company like DocuSign, and I don't represent DocuSign, but they do a good job. I use them here at the law firm. When I sell a product to you, I use a DocuSign link. You click on the link, you sign the sales agreement, which lays out the conditions of sale. It gets sent right back to me and we have a written formalized understanding of what that whole transaction was about. What I see a lot of online businesses do is none of the above. There's no email track, you know, history. There's no texting. There's no sales contract. It's click here, give me your credit card and download the product or service. It's fast and easy, but if there's ever an issue that you're not protected, you're not documented, everything isn't confirmed in writing. So that, that step would be just make sure that you put everything in writing uh, when it comes to sales, when it comes to disputes, when it comes to agreements, or anything in between. Awesome. And I know that paperwork is always so hard. So do you think that you need to have proper, you had mentioned at the beginning that people start up like Facebook accounts and Twitters and things like that. I'm guessing that you also want to include in your documents who owns the social media accounts, like like I know that I know a lot of people and I've run into this quite a lot in my years of doing this where someone set up their social media accounts and they don't have access to them or the person quit and took the accounts with them. They didn't get ever got admin access or they never got the Twitter login, that kind of stuff. I always advise people to create like a master account that everything gets tied to, like for an email, so you can easily go in and change everything simply when someone leaves that has access. But point. with documents, I'm guessing that like when you're going into partnerships or groups you like with like what we do, where we get access to people's social, we'd want to have like a document in place that says we're using this, but this person owns it. Is that my... I think that's really, really smart, and most companies don't do that, especially (laughs) social media agencies. But let's say I wanted to do business with all-in-one social media, okay, and I wanted you guys to handle my accounts. Once you and I talk, once, once we figure out exactly what you'll be doing for my company, at that point in time, what you do is you say, let me shoot you out a confirming email link, and we'll get the document signed on DocuSign. I receive a link, I click on it, it takes me to a document in the cloud at DocuSign that lays out the terms and conditions of exactly what you'll be doing for me and how much I'll be paying for you. I digitally sign that document, it goes back to you, you save it and you've got it. And that way, if six months or 12 months down the line, 
I'm not happy with something or, or, you know, I reach out to you and I say, listen, I'm not seeing any Facebook live work being done. And, and you promised me that you'd be doing Facebook live. And then you come back to me and say, actually, we never talked about any live video. Our live video package is package C. It wasn't something we discussed. Let me send you the document that you signed, which lays out exactly the parameters of what services we would provide. So written contracts in that type of situation also with your customers, with your clients, allow for misunderstandings to be minimized and also protect you as the business owner with respect to what your obligations are regarding the services you provide to your clients. So that would be another way of looking at documentation. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break. This podcast is brought to you by All-in-One Social Media. All the social media your business needs starting at $125 a month. All-in-One started with a mission to put military spouses to work anywhere they are stationed in the world while making fair wages with job flexibility no matter what military life demands of them. With packages starting at just $125 a month, All-in-One will help your business grow through social media with custom graphics, daily posts, targeted Facebook advertising and more. All-in-One's packages cover all your social media marketing needs with unlimited support and feedback, as well as advice for posting and marketing that you can do yourself. Head to allinonesocialmedia.com today to find the package that's right for you. That's allinonesocialmedia.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so respect people's intellectual property. Do business as a corporation or LLC to protect your assets. Use proper documents for your operating agreement. And then what is our fourth tip that you advise for us to do when using, when legaling up on our social media and online marketing? So being careful about doing business online, I think it really is being highlighted today in the news and that is do your due diligence with who you have as a business partner, with who you're doing business with, with who you're contracting out to, to provide products and services to your customers and clients. With all of the news out there about sexual harassment in the workplace, for example, um, what we're finding is that a lot of companies did not do their due diligence as to who's working for them, as to what exposure, liability exposure, these individuals may be causing to the company or to employees or to customers and clients. So I really want online businesses and anyone doing business online to circle the world's, the words due diligence and practice due diligence with everything you do. Before you agree to go into business with someone, do a background check. Find out who you're doing business with. Before you send money to somebody, do your due diligence and find out what type of um, history and reputation that person or company has. Before you pick a partner in a business, and by the way, I never recommend people do business as a general partnership. When I say do because of the liability involved, uh, but when you're doing business with a partner, if you and I were going to be doing business together as a limited liability company or a corporation, I would still think of you as my business partner. But we're not technically partners. We're members in the same LLC. Uh, we're officers in the same corporation. But we're going to use the term partners. You know, you want to check each other out and make sure the person you think you're doing business with is actually the person that you are doing business with. And I will tell you something. In the last I've watched more drama and I've gotten more phone calls and emails and direct messages over the last three years with all of my friends on social media, a lot of big time names with legal issues regarding the due diligence issue. Over the last three years, I've gotten more of those phone calls 
than in the last 30 years of practicing law. I mean, this is like, this is crazy time. And it's crazy time because anybody can open up a free account on Facebook. They can open up a company on Facebook in that free account and they can say whatever they want to say to build out their Google presence, their social media presence, their digital footprint uh, without anybody checking on it. And so it's up to you and me and your customers and clients and your audience to do their due diligence before spending money, before doing business with a new partner or any of the above. That's really smart. I always try to have a lot of transparency with who we are and what we do with our business, but you do, but yeah, I try. that doesn't mean everybody else does. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I, I was just going to say, and the other thing about transparency, and I'm a big believer in selective transparency. That's something that's really allowed me to build my brand online is, you know, right now I'm the lawyer in the golf shirt, right? I'm not in my suit. It's hanging on behind that desk, behind that uh, door over there. But you know what? People, people that claim to be transparent online, once again, do your due diligence. Don't take their word for it. Because right now there are a lot of very transparent, quote unquote, people online that have been leading double lives. And they owe a lot of people a lot of money. So just be careful. The social media double life is hard because it's, it's something that we as individuals who are building our brand, it's like we, we try to like be honest with who we are and what we have. Like for my personal brand, it's I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a military spouse, I'm a business owner. And then, you know, and then I have like my like hashtags where it's like travel junkie, foodie, TV, right. you know, TV watcher. And so just those things, but that's who I am. But I try to, and I try to live that and be that, but there are just still those things I don't share because I don't want to air that, that grievance, that dirty laundry until I'm really ready to like have it out there and be something that's a part of my story. So it is important, I think, to have that due diligence with just seeing who the people are that you're going to work with, you know, having that, making sure they're ethical. <laughs> that's a big one for me though. Yeah, and so being selectively transparent, what you're doing, I think that's a really good thing. And I try to do the same thing. I'm selectively transparent. Uh, pretty much what you see online is what you get. But, you know, I don't show, share my home phone number. I don't share all of my vacation details. You know, although I like to share that with my audience, I'm, I'm smart about how I go about doing that for obvious reasons. What I've seen a big problem uh, as being is that a company will go online, they'll outsource maybe to somebody to help with their YouTube channel. They'll outsource to somebody to do their marketing. And what happens is the money just goes sideways and they never see any products or services in return. Okay, they weren't careful about the vendor that they decided to do business with. And um, what I have noticed is if that happens to you and you have a legal problem, you're probably not alone. In other words, when I see somebody stand up and say, listen, this is what just went down. I'm out $99. It's not all the money in the world, but it's the principle of the thing. And then what I'll see over the next course of a week will be another 99 or 100 people with the same problem with the same individual, right? And so, and so I always tell people, never be afraid to do the right thing. It's not always easy, but it is always necessary. In our social media communities, it's really important that we have each other's backs. It's really important that when you see somebody doing something wrong, you stand up and you say something about it. We don't need digital foxes running around getting into our digital hen houses. And so that's kind of a mission that I'm on. I try to just be very open about what should or shouldn't happen. And along those lines, you know, when it's all said and done, I tell people, look, just do your due diligence before you enter into a contract, before you click and buy 
or before you decide to invest in somebody else's company. I love that analogy of the digital fox and the digital hen house. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's original. It's mine. It I like it too because I think it does kind of make the point. It does. So what is our, your last piece of, of advice that you have for us today? It's not sexy. It's not exciting, but you know, it's kind of necessary. And that is think about having insurance. Every business that you know of offline has some type of insurance, whether it's liability insurance, if somebody walks in and trips and falls, insurance on the automobiles in the business, uh, insurance for property damage, for flood damage, whatever it might be. Executives have uh, E&O coverage that covers negligent acts for companies. Online, we can do the same thing. You have to have insurance coverage for if you're running your, your business out of your home, Oftentimes, your homeowner's liability coverage may provide you with some type of liability coverage, but you contact your homeowner's coverage provider and ask them, do you have an at-home business rider? Do you have an at-home business liability coverage option? And most do, and I recommend that, that people make sure they've got liability insurance protection if they can afford it and if it's available. And if you're selling a product or service, let's go back to that surfboard example that you know the board can fly off the top of someone's car and injure the vehicle behind you. It can break in a big swell and maybe crack in half and cause an injury to the surfer. If there's some type of product that you're selling where there's potential liability, and by the way, I'm the guy where I'm not that kind of lawyer, okay? I love doing all this stuff. And the last thing my mind, my mind's, said is that I'm not going to bring a claim against anybody. I'm really like, I assume the risk of doing this stuff. I mean, I'm talking expert hang glider pilot, windsurfer, motocross racer. I've done all this stuff, right? But having said that, not everybody's like me, not everybody's like you. And so if you have liability, product liability, insurance protection, then if something like that happens and a claim comes in the door, um, you can just turn it over to your insurance company and let them deal with it. And you can go on with your life. So that's the last step. Well, I feel like I just have a whole bunch of stuff I got to go do, but I know, <laughs> know about I know. the rest Sorry of my listeners. <laughs> no, it's fine. That's good. I, I, I feel like that should be like how people feel after listening to this podcast. It's like they have to go take care of stuff to make yeah, their yeah. business better, whether it's legally or marketing wise. So this was fantastic. And we're, just to recap real quick, guys, we want to five things. One, respect people's intellectual property. Two, do business as a corporation or an LLC to protect your assets. Three, use proper documentation for all of your operating agreements and, and things that you have going on when it comes to social. And I'm going to add the caveat of make sure you include who owns your social media platforms. Four, do your due diligence with who you work with. And five, have insurance. Absolutely. Not sexy, not, not about all the fun post pictures and all that kind of stuff that we usually talk about, but this is just as important. So it is. And there is a number six. Oh, you want to yeah. know what the number six is and it applies. To, yeah. I think yeah. you already know this one, but it's don't be an a-hole. Okay. <laughs> and, and I really mean that. And, and the reason I say that is one of the beautiful things about social media, one of the things I've really enjoyed about it is it really gives you a chance to build and make new relationships, right? and to really add value to your community, to help other people. And what I've noticed, and this is, this is the truth, what I've noticed is that 
if people know, like, and trust you, if they like doing business with you, if they like interacting with you, and you know, maybe for me as a lawyer, I'm helping them with some legal stuff, but they're also engaging with me uh, from the motocross track or on a family vacation. There's a relationship there. It's a personal relationship. What I found over the years is that people are less apt to bring a claim or bring a lawsuit against somebody who they like. In other words, they're going to reach out to you and they're going to say, hey, Mitch, that contract that you put together for me, it, it really didn't have all of the clauses that you told me that it would. Um, and I'm kind of upset about that. I mean, my response would be, geez, I feel terrible about that. Just, you know, send it over to me. And let me fix it. Let me fix it. And, and people will take the time to do that when they like you, when they know you, when they trust you. And um, so I think, you know, the easiest way to avoid any legal problems is to really just try to be a good human being on social media, regardless of who you are and what you do for a living. And you'll avoid, you know, many of these little legal mind traps that we, you know, that I've, minefields that I've been talking about. And it all comes down to people skills. It's not crossing your T's and dotting your I's in the legal arena. It has to do with being a good human being having a good reputation, and, you know, frankly, trying to always make sure the customer or the client's right. I mean, everything we do is about providing an exemplary client experience. And if you do that, your clients are going to look forward to connecting with you and hearing from you and listening to your recommendations. And if there is a disagreement or a misunderstanding as to what they're getting and what you're providing, what I found is 99 times out of 100, it can easily be worked you know, worked out with a phone call, a couple of emails, a text. So that's probably the best tip of all. You know, that's just great life advice. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but as, as you've seen, as you've seen on social media, that's not always the case, is it? I know. Isn't that so weird that people just, people forget how to be good people and it's so unfortunate and it's just help each other out, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's be what I like about you. this. Be there for each other. It's not that hard. At least it shouldn't be. So, well, Mitch, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people follow you on social? Well, thank you for asking and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Probably the easiest way is over at streaming.lawyer. That's my live streaming social media blog. It's not really our law firm page. And over there, you know, all my contact information is available. I love answering questions. I love helping people. So if you go to streaming.lawyer, you can connect with me there. Also on social media at all the major platforms, if you go to mitch.social, the links are right there and I would love to connect with each and every one of you. And we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes, guys, so that you can follow his awesome advice and what he is doing to just help people with their digital issues. So thank you again so much for being on the show, Mitch. It was awesome. And until next time, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to Marketing for Your Boring Business. If you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or share this episode on social media. Want more? Subscribe to automatically get the latest episodes of Marketing for Your Boring Business. This podcast is presented by All-in-One Social Media. All the social media your business needs starting at $125 a month.